Hello everyone and welcome to my YouTube channel. It's a great pleasure for me to have uh, uh, Ted Oakley. He is the founder of Oxbow uh, Advisors and uh, he is actually one of the people that you can truly call a self-made person. How are you, Ted? I'm great, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Always a great pleasure. Uh, Ted, Tell us a little bit about your 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 background because I think it's it's very interesting, very uh, fascinating, and something that our viewers would uh, learn a lot from. Well, uh, I think what happens, and I'm I don't think I'm so unusual. I, you know, I grew up poor as a kid, uh, and uh, had to move around and had to do a lot of things. Had to learn to work very very early. I started working. I was like six years old. So I learned that at a very, very early age, but it helped me, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think what happens is when you uh, come from uh, that type of background, you really, and, and, and mine was a background which we really had no, no money. And uh, we ended up, I ended up in a situation where uh, today, for example, uh, I learned to give it back too. You know, I have uh, two, uh, two of the major foster child foundations in Texas. And we, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you try to help out if you can, because you understand what's going on. It has helped me in this respect. I do think I understand all socioeconomic levels, and that's really important. A lot of people will understand one or the other, but I've lived them all. So I have a fairly <laughs> decent idea. That's uh, that's admirable because it's 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 a great example, and I think that everyone that's watching uh, should should check your your background. It's in the in the references below in the in the details of the video. Um, uh, Ted, I would like to get a little bit about uh, you know your view about the current state of the U.S. economy. Uh, what do you think about the the growth and jobs outlook and uh, the general macroeconomic environment? What what is your opinion? Well, for me, Daniel, I think what happens is it's all artificial. I think anybody couldn't argue that point. And when you get into artificial things and all of a sudden they work, then they want to do more artificial things. And that's the problem. And so what I see with it is that you're going to end up in a situation where uh, it's, and I think it'll be a major change for people in this business and in Wall Street, because I don't think they're going to be able to understand because of what's happened the last 20 years and then all of a sudden dramatic changes. I, I could see the economy growing, but the problem is, is that it's bringing inflation with it. And I think when that happens, because of all the money you push in, and at some point, uh, you know, you have a problem. I'll give you an example. I just, a great book uh, that I read again is called Dying of Money. Yeah. Uh, there's not many copies. You probably read it yourself, but it about Weimar Germany, 1918, 1923. For the first year or two, it actually worked quite well. They were buying stocks. Everything was going up, real estate. But by the time you got to 23 or 24, it was over. And so I don't know if it happens that way, but I do know I think that will bring that on in time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the risks that uh, uh, of, of the level of exuberance and the level of optimism about the recovery is that uh, after a sugar high you get a sugar low huh? and that uh, uh, there's you mentioned the word artificial which is critical no because what we're seeing is that money velocity is not going up that the labor participation rate remains very very poor and that productivity growth has been is extremely weak so we we're forgetting that we need to uh, to to pump the the, the productive economy, don't we? 
Well, that's true. And I think what happens is when you have nothing but financial engineering, which is all we've had for a number of years, you know, you leave the basics of what makes a machine go, you know, the, the, the actual real economy. And, and I think that's what's happened to us. We've uh, basically, if you look at it, the, our, our legislatures decided to give it all to the Fed and let them deal with the problem. And the only thing they can do is, is financial. And so we've, we've left the basics of economics, I think. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the outlook of inflation, uh, we've heard numerous times from Fed officials that they're not worried about inflation, that, the, that it's a base effect driven inflationary pressure, that it's transitory. Uh, what are your thoughts about that and, uh, and whether that is simply just a typical excuse of, uh, of people that just don't know what is going on? Well, Daniel, I've been a long, I've been around longer than most people probably, so uh, good or bad. But uh, the last Fed governor, the last Fed president, really, that I believed was Volcker. Yeah, that was the last one I believed. After that, I didn't believe him. And so, what happens in this one too is I I, you know, I, I tend to I watch what they say, but I don't use it for anything because I know that as soon as something changes, you know, they'll drop that narrative and go a different direction. I think their biggest problem will be this word they use tools, where they say, hey, if we start to inflate, we have the tools. But you have to ask yourself the question, what are those tools? And what would you actually do if we inflate with all this debt? So I'm, I, uh, I, I think that they are probably feel like they've got it all under control, but I, I don't buy that personally. Mm -hmm. And um, with considering that out that outlook and um, the that the 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 rhetoric is always the same. First, you uh, push the limits of monetary policy. Say, oh, there's no problem because there's no inflation. You push the limits further. Then you say that inflation is transitory. And then when inflation is not transitory, then you blame businesses. And you blame uh, the productive economy for raising prices, and you demand price controls. Uh, do you fear that? Well, what I what I really fear, I, I would say, is you know we're talking about yield uh, yield curve control, and if you look at today, I, I told somebody this last week, they're actually buying long paper now. Yeah. You go back in and look at the Fed, era, the New York Fed, every week, and they're buying ten, twenty, thirty in a year paper now. So they're in effect, you know, they haven't stated it, but that's effectively what they're doing. And I think what, what I would probably fear more than anything is that they keep on buying the paper. They keep them artificially low. But in the real world, all of a sudden, you're getting this inflation push. And so that's the worst of all worlds. And you're killing the people that are the most conservative. Yeah, because on the one side, uh, because money creation is never neutral, it disproportionately benefits those that are the first recipients of money, government and uh, the indebted, and hurts the the middle class and savers. Um, the, wh when you look at that uh, situation, and obviously we as investors have to find the way to navigate situations, whether we like them or not. No, how do you think that investors should look at it in terms of positioning? Well, I think you have to position. I, I'll just say in our own portfolios, and we we run some you know, maybe three different strategies, four different strategies. But generally what we look at is uh, what we've made a shift on is to, we are not a hundred percent, but we're apportioned 
to uh, a set of commodities, real estate, um, we've got uh, grains, we've got uh, oil, if you look at metals, we have a, a portion that we have lumber, we have timber. And so we, we have a portion that that direction, you have to have some of that, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's wrong. I, I, I don't, I don't know that, but I will say this. I think it's a, it, it, to say that you wouldn't have any was taking a fairly big risk. So we have that. Uh, we haven't bought a bond since last July or August, uh, past a year or two. Uh, we felt like then that that was, that was already going to get for time being. And that's been a, that's been a good process for us. And now what we're having to do, if somebody walks in the door and they've got really, really conservative money and you say, okay, well, normally I keep you at 36 months or less or something. I mean, very, very bulletproof conservative. You can't do that right now. The 12 month T-bill hit 05 yesterday. I mean, they, they can't make any money. So you have to make, a, you have to make some adjustments to, to bring in about 20% of that portfolio or so, maybe in some preferreds, some things like that. You have to make some adjustment to try to get it up where it's uh, you know at least making some money. Uh-huh. On the stock side, we just carry we're carrying about 25-30% cash, primarily because we don't have anything that, that hits the numbers for us. <laughs> yeah, you see that va- the valuation impact of uh, multiple expansion that we saw in 2020 and continued into 2021 is is would be one of the risks that you would categorize in the market right now how complacent people have become with with multiple expansion or do you think that that is going to continue as long as yields remain that low? You know, Daniel, I would be surprised if if you just look at the history of of, of multiples, yeah. we're right up there. I'm yeah. not saying we can't go higher. You can know you can always go higher. But the one thing I've found over, especially the last three years or so, and it, it's really been happening for ten years, but the Fed has basically created this uh, giant casino, and there's all kinds of tables inside the casino. I can name them all to you, but it's you know, it's real estate, it's housing, it's stock market, bond market, uh, Bitcoin, you name it. You know, there's a table where you're, you're rolling dice on every table and they've created that right now. And the problem is you have this whole entire group of people with no memories in the last 10 or 11 years, there's no fair market for them. So, you know, why worry about it? And that's where we are today. I, I, I have, I, I just say this, but I've been here before. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that feeling. That is that is a very important point because one of the things that I mentioned a couple of times in uh, in the past is that uh, this is probably the I think we're going into the third generation of uh, of investors or at least or at least professionals in the in the in financial markets that that have only seen expansionary monetary policies and that can only bet on one thing and uh, and that definitely can can lead to extreme risk taking what what are in terms of the do you have any particular uh view about how is that increase in inflation going to translate into the margins of uh, of companies because one of the debates right now is okay 
uh, as long as they're able to pass that inflation to consumers, uh, it's great to be in the stock market. But what we're seeing, at least, for example, in Germany and in Japan, is that the uh, producer prices are going, import prices are going up, but they're not able to pass the that. So that's that's crushing margins uh, in an environment in which overcapacity has been kept very much alive uh, because of the magi- massive stimuli. No, so 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 what are your thoughts about margins here? Well, I think I think it's twofold. I think uh, you know, obviously, it's cost of goods. The other one probably is going to come into play, particularly after last night's speech. Yeah, is yeah. that the labor costs are going to go up? And and I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't because that's been out of line for you know long time, twenty five years. But what's happening is those two forces are pushing on those margins, and when those margins break down, you can't continue to say, okay, we're going to hold these multiples at this level. Those two things don't fit together. They go against opposite direction. And I think that people are sort of blind to the fact that this could happen. And, and they're really buying into this transitory quote. Uh, it'll go away in September, so don't worry about it. And I don't, I'm not certain that's going to happen that way. Yeah, particularly in, in you mentioned a number of uh, commodities uh, that are, that are going to see inflationary pressures for a prolonged period of time precisely because of this massive push towards renewables uh, because of the uh, demand for uh, for industrial uh, for industrial commodities as well and food and food prices obviously um so what do you think about the the stimulus plan that has been uh, announced the 2 trillion infrastructure plan and uh, whether how that fits with uh, with the current uh, environment of of economic growth and and job st- improvement well, I, I think, Daniel, unfortunately for that two trillion, if you look at the percentage that's actually going into infrastructure, which is what we need, actually, we need infrastructure. We, we have highways all over the United States, and I go, I've been everywhere in the U.S., and they all need work. The bridge, everything needs work. And yet, unfortunately, a low percentage of that is going where it should go. You know, it, it's typical of what we, what we get out of Washington, and I think that will end up being the problem. They'll end up spending the money but it won't be in something, at least during the jobs work under FDR, you know, you built things and you had to go to work. Now people stay at home and we don't build anything. And so you, that's going to be a problem for us. But I, I, I think it won't be as effective as obviously as they think it will be. Certainly. Obviously, the, the, the multiplier effects of, uh, of stimulus packages have been extremely low in the last uh, 20 years in particular. But I, I come back to your point is that it's about six to eight percent of the, of the plan that is actually truly infrastructure, isn't it? Uh, what do you think that the, what, what do you think the impact of the, dramatic tax increase that the administration has uh, announced first do you think it will pass and second do you think how how do you think it will play in terms of both the equity markets and the economy itself well you have to think about it from the person that's making more than 400,000 and so there's some facets of that law now i think they'll pass it let's say they do 40 and they end up at 36% on the long-term capital gain. That's still not very good. That's still bad compared to where we were. But I'll tell you what the implications are this. When you step up, I'll give two sec, the two main drivers of investment really are real estate 
and, and really financial. And if you look at the stock side, for example, if I'm going to pay 36 to 40% gains on everything I take, when I can only write off $3,000, if I take a loss, that risk reward is not too great right now, no matter how long I hold it. And the second part of it is on the real estate side. If you take away 1031, which has been the greatest boom for real estate in this country, which is when you take those gains, you turn them into another piece of property, you don't pay tax, don't current tax on it. If you take those two things and then you move away from the step-up basis for your inheritors, for example, you've all of a sudden taken people in the top wealth group right there and you put them in a major shock. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're really having to think, rethink everything. I just talked to one this morning, Florida. They're not going to sell it. They have a full bid on a piece of property above what they would have normally taken and they said, you know, we're not going to take it because we're worried that they may come back in on us on, on see it. And so what it will do, it will keep people from doing things. Every time somebody sold a piece of property or sold a stock, they did something else with it. They either bought another one or they, or they, they added, they fixed up a building or they added people in the company. So what it does is it slows down business turn is what happens. And I think that will be the ultimate end to it. It will slow it down. One of the things that has uh, concerned me in the last uh, years after the financial crisis is that in developed economies, we have seen a very poor uh, improvement in productivity growth. But with this tax bill, what I see is that you're basically aiming at massively increasing the taxes on high productivity while increasing the subsidies on low productivity. And that was an absolute disaster in the eurozone, which which obviously has created very poor growth and very poor job creation in in recovery, growth, or uh, keeping them in recession times. No? Uh, do you think that, that the, when we're seeing that even in the estimates with, there's about 12% increase in GDP estimates from the IMF uh, 2021 to 2022 for the United States, yet unemployment remains relatively elevated compared with the levels where, where it was uh, prior to the COVID-19 crisis. Do you think that that is going to further uh, put a break on job creation? You know, if they keep coming with, let's say they come with another round of <clears throat> some sort of subsidy to people and they stay home, that, that's the problem we have today. I, I think I'm in, in touch with as many businesses as anybody. They all have the same problem. Yeah. They, they can't get anybody to drive a truck. They can't get anybody to work in a restaurant. They can't, they can't get anybody to do anything because Right now, they make plenty of money until at least September. And so if they want to extend that, no, we don't. We have the same problem over and over again, except that there's some point there that it stops. And then you have to decide, okay, what happens after that? My guess is, is that you don't have the, the boom stops. At least it slows down at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when, you, when you think about not 2021, with all of these different aspects of uh, artificial stimulus mm -hmm. that we're seeing. But 2022, what are, the, what are the main areas that you're more optimistic and more concerned about? Well, I'm still, I'll, I'll be more optimistic still about, uh, about the, the basic commodities and 
I'm also optimistic about the companies that continue to grow. The common stock companies continue to grow. If they can grow at 15% in this atmosphere, they will do okay. There's not that many of them, but if they can do it, that'll be the, that, that's a positive look right there for them. The negative side is that I think with this mantra of Wall Street on the 60-40 portfolio this whole last 20 years, for example, that investors are going to have a hard time because a lot of people in our industry don't understand this, that when you turn the bond market on them the other way, then all of a sudden they have a problem. They don't know what to do. And I think the bigger problem for people, um, and maybe it comes and goes back and forth, back and forth, but it's going to be the bond market for them over the next, you know, the next 22, that 22 period. Certainly. I mean, pension funds are going to have a real problem because it's a, it's it's not just a, a real losses. It's nominal losses now. Huh? So well, property insurance companies, you know, that finance a lot of real estate and that sort of thing. They're having, you know, they can't get anything off the bonds now. Sure. And you notice them; they're raising their prices to the end consumer, and they're going after real estate with these really low rates. I'm talking about two sip, two seven, three percent for ten years fixed, that kind of thing. That tells you that they're getting nothing out of the bond market. Absolutely. Uh, one final question, because I'm conscious of your time. Uh, this divergence between very low financing uh, rates for sovereigns, while uh, the, uh, the 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 interest rates at which small businesses are financing themselves, how how dangerous can it be? And at which point we start to see uh, arising non-performing loans in in uh, commercial banks? Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm part of a bank myself, and so I'm involved in it, and involved in looking at the 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 borrowers, I should say. And what happens is, you know, right now they're all in fairly decent shape because most of the companies have come back they you know between ppp and being liquefied they're in fairly good shape i think what happens is when when you go a little bit further out and business picks up quite a bit and they have then they have to start taking on more employees and more debt and and if that happens to be right before you sort of tip the scales a little bit that's where banks will miss it because banks have been notorious about not seeing what could happen because they they really live in the moment at time and most of them do and so I will see what happens but I think that's where you'll go on it well uh, it's been great talking to you I think we could spend quite a lot more time but I'm very very conscious that you have a very very busy agenda uh, it's it's been great to talk with you and if uh, if it's okay it would be fantastic to follow up in uh, in in a month's time or so and uh, uh, see your thoughts about the the new developments in the economy and the stock markets thank you so much Ted thanks for joining us Daniel, thank you too. Appreciate it. And you have all the details about Ted and uh, Oxbow Advisors in uh, in the details of the of the video below. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for watching this video. Please subscribe to my channel, like my videos, leave your comments below, and keep defending freedom. Thank you very much.